Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. I have a message today that um, it, it's going to actually follow the theme of worship. Now, I did not expect what I encountered in worship today. Um, I found it to be incredibly intimate and sweet. And th- this is actually a, a message um, and a portion of Scripture that can meet you in a very sweet spot in your life if you'll let it. So I just, I just want to offer the invitation to open the doors of your heart and let God meet you in, in a place that sometimes is scary. Now, let me set this up. Have you ever felt like in your life, or have you ever wondered if God has given up on you? Have you ever felt that way? And what I mean by that is, is you're going along, you're doing for God, you know, you're a part of a small group, you know, you're praying, you're involved and all this, but your heart still feels just really, really empty. Um, if, you were, if you were a tire on a car, you would just be deflated. You feel that way spiritually. Um, when you pray, you talk to God, your prayers just kind of seem to bounce back to you, unanswered, unheard, um, you know, kind of like like. For those of us who remember snail mail, you know, just a letter that says return to sender, just unopened, it never got there. And, and so you felt like that. I think we all have, but a- after a while feeling this way, if it persists for more than a few days, you begin to ask yourself why. You know, why am I in this place in my life? I mean, why is a child of God and a Christian with all of the promises, right? Why do I feel this way? And, and as you're asking yourself the question, um, you realize that you probably deserve it. You know, you, you realize you probably deserve it. I mean, after all, look at how it is spiritually. I mean, God calls us to obey Him, doesn't He? And, and there are so many times in your life when you have absolutely disobeyed the Lord. Um, you know, God says that we are to be people of love and forgiveness, and the truth of the matter is that you've done more than your fair share of hating and holding grudges. Jesus says to follow me, doesn't He? And yet, if truth be told, we're a lot more like Jonah than we are the 12 disciples. You know, we, we, we spend a lot of time running the other way. And when you just add all of that up, you, you stop and you realize, you know, I, I, I've just blown it with God one too many times. And really, I mean, it, it's more than one time, right? I've blown it way too many times with God, and God's just done with me. Now, a lot of us have felt that way. I'm not going to ask for hands, first of all, because I'd have to raise both of mine. But um, we, we feel like that, and that makes really good sense to us as human beings. I mean, that's how a lot of relationships work in this world. That's how it works at, at work, you know, the three strikes and you're out rule. But here's the thing, and I'm just praying that your hearts can, our hearts can get this today. That is not how the kingdom of God works. You know, I, I get it. You know, the law of retribution, the law of, okay, you've had enough chances. Everybody's finished for you. That's not how God is. He's just not that way, and, and, and here's why. You cannot hear the story of Jesus Christ. You cannot hear the story of the cross and the empty tomb and come to that conclusion that God has given up. And so here's what I'm going to do. Today, I'm going to prove that to you. We are going to take a look at God and a group of people, okay? Now, don't worry. You're not the group of people. We're going we're to look at a group of people from another place, another time, another culture, and another very different set of circumstances than the circumstances of our life and our world. And, and listen, we all know that all sin is the same, right? But still, when you look at this group of people, 
Man, in, in a lot of ways, they're a whole lot worse than we have ever been. They're a whole lot worse than us, and we're gonna look at how God dealt with them. Okay, spoiler alert, I'm not supposed to do this as a pastor. It breaks the rules of seminary education. Here's your spoiler alert. I have got really, really good news for you today. And so I want you to open your hearts to this incredible God that he's just going in a whole nother direction, doing a whole nother thing than, than, than the, the laws and, and, and the, the normalities of our world. Now, before we get there, I, I want to back up for just a second, and I want to talk to you about Romans 1 through 10. If you've been with us for the series, or if you have ever read Romans 1 through 10, we have been talking um, in part about the Jews, okay? And if you go all the way up through Romans 10 and stop, and you never go any further, you could come to a conclusion. Now, here's the conclusion. The conclusion is this regarding the Jews, the nation of Israel. After all God has done for this group of people, what has God done? Oh, my goodness. I mean, the list is too long to go through, but I'll hit a couple of things. I mean, you look at what God has done for the Jews. He chose them. He pursued them. He delivered them from slavery. He provided for them spiritually, emotionally, Physically, he blessed them beyond measures or measure. All these promises in the Word of God are for them. After all of that, this group of people rejects Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the, the Messiah, their Savior. And it's not just that they resist him one time in history, they persist in their rejection of Jesus. You could read all of that and say, you know what? That, my friends, is a bridge too far. God is done with these people. You could come to that conclusion. Many people have come to that conclusion. In fact, I say that today because this is the point that Paul deals with in Romans chapter 11. This whole thing of God finally going, you know what? I've had it. You've had your chance. I'm moving on. Paul deals with this. In verse 1, he writes to us. He writes a question. Has God rejected now his own people, the people of Israel? In verse 11, Paul writes this. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? So what Paul is doing here is he is asking the question that is on everybody's mind who's been with him from Romans 1 through, uh, 1 through 10. He's asking everybody in, in the early church who's going, do you see what's going on with the Gentiles? Look at the Jews. This is the burning question of the moment, and Paul's going to take it on. But this is also the burning question that we have in our own lives, in our own hearts. You know, when we feel like, you know, I, I've, I've just... I've just gone too far. I've disobeyed too often. Paul deals with that. So let me pray, and again, get ready for some really, really good news. In other words, it is Christmas in August today. All right, here we go. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. And Lord, I, I thank you that, that, Father, you are so far beyond the way our, our world works. Lord, your ways are so much higher. They're so much better. Father, you are not just a loving God, you are love. And I thank you that today that will play itself out. Oh, Lord God, and with all of these Gentiles we're getting ready to talk about and all of these Jews that we're getting ready to look at. So we just thank you, we love you, we honor you, and we rejoice. God, take the word, apply it deeply to our hearts, our minds, our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Romans chapter 11 
verse one. You may have heard this before like two minutes ago. I ask then, says Paul, has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Paul's answer to his question is a very unastounding, no, of course not. Now, why did I say that was unastounding? Because that is always the answer to Paul's questions in the book of Romans. He, he, he holds it. This is just the way he always answers his questions. But what Paul does now is he goes on to give us four reasons why God has not rejected Israel. Reason number one, says Paul in verse one, is because you are looking at a Jew. Paul, Paul says, God has not rejected Israel because I myself am an Israelite. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul is saying, take a good look at me. I'm a Jew, and look at what I'm doing. Here I am. I am leading the church. I am planting churches. I am an apostle. I'm a missionary. Folks, I'm as Jewish as they come. So if God saved me, a Jew... Oh, he has not forgotten his people. He has not rejected his people. So that's reason number one. Reason number two is out of verse two, and it's that thing we talked about in chapter nine that made some of us squirm. Uh, It's predestination. Paul writes, no, God has not rejected his people because he chose them from the very beginning. And here it is. We talk about who's bigger in this scenario, the God-people scenario. Who is? God is bigger. Paul is saying, look, when God makes a decision, when God chooses, when God decrees by his will, then people, not even a disobedient people who are running the other way at top speed, they will not undo the will of God. They they will not. If God chose them, in other words, church, if God chose the Jews, you know what we better do? We better make some room in the church because they will join the spiritual family. That's what Paul is telling us. Now, Reason number three, I love this one in verses two through four, Paul now points everyone back to 1 Kings 19.10 when somebody else in biblical history thought that God had given up on the Jews. He points back to Elijah, and, and Paul says this, Elijah complained to God about the rebellious Jews back then saying, and I would change Paul's wording here. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that Elijah was saying, I would say Elijah was whining, okay? Lord, they've rejected you. They've killed your prophets. They've torn down your altars. I'm all you've got left, God, and now they're coming to kill me too. Elijah thought the very same thing about the nation of Israel, the state of Israel, and, and, and all, of, all, of, all of these Jews. This is what Elijah thought. Paul asks back, do you remember God's reply to Elijah? And I'm going to paraphrase this. God's reply back to Elijah, who thinks God has given up on the Jews, God's reply is, dude, are you serious? No way. Not even close. Elijah, I've got 7,000 others who have never bowed down to Baal. And so the translation here is, look, the Jews, again, have not all rejected me, Elijah, and church, nor have I rejected them. And then Paul brings it now into their life and times here, reason number four in verses five and six. It is the same today as it was in Elijah's day. For a few of the people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace, his undeserved kindness in choosing them. And since it is through God's kindness, it is not by their good works. 
For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. And so what Paul is simply saying to the church here is, folks, do not make the Elijah mistake. Do not conclude that everything is over, the Jews are done with, and, and, and God is done with them. Because the truth is, even in our life and times and in Scripture, some of them are getting captured by God's grace. Some of them are getting swallowed up in the love of God. The message of the good news of Jesus Christ, oh, it is overtaking quite a few. So again, we wind up at, at the end of all of this rationale from Paul with four big fat no's, four big fat no ways God has not given up on the Jews. So here's where things stand now. In, in verse 7, most of the Jews have still not yet found the favor of God that they were looking for so earnestly. And we've talked about how the Jews were looking earnestly for the, for the grace of God. They were looking for it through religious rituals, through religious rule keepings. And, and so Paul says, look, a, a, a few of them have found Christ up to this point. But for now, most of their hearts are hardened. And then Paul takes us back, because you remember we talked about this with Pharaoh. This is that same dynamic. Paul goes on to talk about, here's what's going on with the nation of Israel right now. They persisted in rejecting God's way of salvation. They proudly, up to this point, have rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And so what God did was God gave them over to their hard hearts. Isaiah puts it this way, because Paul quotes Isaiah. Isaiah says, this is what's going on right now with the Jews. God has put them to spiritual sleep by shutting their eyes so they do not see and closing their ears so they do not heard. And then he quotes King David. Now, this is a, a quote out of Psalm 69, 22 and 23. David talked about this. David said, let there, and this is Israel, let their bountiful table become a snare a trap that makes them think all is well. Let their blessings cause them to stumble and let them get what they deserve. Let their eyes go blind so they cannot see and let their backs be bent forever. And just so you know, forever here is just, this is David talking. Just as far as he can see, this is how it's going to be for quite a while. So you add it all up. What's going on here with the nation of Israel? Well, as Tim Keller puts it, God for a while, he's going to let the punishment fit the crime. You persisted in having a hard heart nation of Israel, so have at your hard heart. Okay, so that's where we are up through uh, verse 10. And, and, and if you're tracking with me, you're going, wait a minute, Steve, hold on a second. We just ended up where we started. You know, we all started, has God rejected Jews? No, he hasn't. And then there's all this rationale about what's wrong with the nation of Israel and, and why things stand the way they stand. So Paul, again, has to ask the same question in a different way, really. In verse 11, he says, okay, then did God's people stumble and did they fall beyond recovery? Because Paul, it sounds like that's exactly what you're telling us. And now Paul's remarkable answer, Paul answers, after all this explanation about what's wrong with the Jews, and, and you know, uh, when it comes to, to spiritual matters and salvation, after all their chronic resistance, Paul's answer is, of course not. Of course they haven't stumbled and fallen beyond recovery. And listen, if you're like me the first time I read this, you got to this point and you're like, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm going bonkers here. Paul, what in the Sam Hill then is going on? And by the way, let me just stop here and tell you something. I actually played softball and went to a church with a guy named Sam Hill once. 
Um, Sam, and I'll tell you this, we called him Sammy because we didn't want there to be confusion. And also, Sam, Sam Hill was built like a NFL linebacker, so we all left him alone, okay? So, back to the sermon, okay? Paul says, look, God has not abandoned Israel. What's going on right now with the nation of Israel, with the Jews? It's two things. It's intentional and it's temporary. Now, listen to this. I'll I'll read to you verses 11 through 15. This is the intentional part. They were disobedient. So God made salvation available to the Gentiles. That's all of us, right? But he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim salvation for themselves. Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. I'm saying this, especially for you Gentiles. God has appointed me uh, as the apostle of the Gentiles, and I stress this for I want somehow to make the people of Israel jealous for what you Gentiles have so I might save some of them. For since their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life for those who were dead. That's what's going on with the Israelites. Now, let me me just break it down. Um, Paul is telling us here about three intentional stages in the life of Israel when it comes to salvation. The first one comes out of 11 and 12. The Jews said no to Jesus, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. Again, so Israel's sin means God's riches for the rest of the world. All right, that's stage one. So what happens now is the Gentiles who are on the outside looking in on the people of God, you know, here we are out there. Now the Gentiles are beginning to experience all their taste in life. They're growing. They're becoming. And that's where stage two comes in. Stage two of Israel's life is 11 and 14. So as God's promises to the Jews are now being fulfilled in us, the Gentiles, as they're enjoying God, as, as they're being used by God, They are seeing the spiritual life that they are missing, and they become jealous. They become envious. And I know that word jealousy, we think, oh, no, 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 jealousy is not a good thing. In this case, it's a really good thing. This is the kind of jealousy when I wasn't saved, and I, I would see other Christians walking around that were the real deal, and I was like, man, I want what they got. That peace, that joy, that love, that purpose. I mean, man, they're living this thing. This is what it will stir up in the Jews. It'll make the Jews envious of what they're missing in Jesus Christ. And that will open the door for stage three in verse 14. This jealousy will move more of the Jews into salvation. That was always the plan of God, all along from the very beginning. And I read that, and I'm like, what a master planner. I mean, I've had days when I put something together well. This is incredible. And, and just look at the mercy and the grace and the kindness and the patience. And, you know, so, so what, what is God doing? A uh, uh, physical illustration? God's just throwing lassos on everybody with this beautiful move and just pulling all kinds of people all over the world to himself. And so for the church, what that means, and this is really important for our theology, okay? It's really important for our theology as a Christian church. We can never make the tragic mistake of thinking, you know what Israel is, all those Jews? They're a bunch of spiritual has-beens. They had their chance. They blew it. Absolutely no, writes Paul in verse 16. You know, just in case we're still tempted to go there. He says, listen, um, 
uh, they too, meaning the Jews, they too will become holy like Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy. Just like the roots of the Jewish tree are holy, so will those branches be holy in time to come. Whew. That's, that's pretty awesome. Now, following all of that, we get a stern warning from Paul. And when I say we, I mean we. We all get a stern warning, us Gentiles who said yes to Christ, while all along the Jews, you know, the most of them have been saying no. Paul writes in, in verse 18, but you Gentiles must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch. You are not the root. In other words, my southern brothers and sisters, don't be getting uppity, you know. Don't think you've arrived. Let, let us not look down on the nation of Israel. Verse 20 and 21, don't think highly of yourselves, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the Jews for a proud heart, he won't spare us either. Okay, so we got this far. Time is short. Let me get us to the finish line here, um, which, by the way, is a glorious and mysterious finish line. As Paul now drops an absolute bomb on the church of Jesus Christ by making a statement to us, and this is where the temporary part really comes in. Verse 26, Paul says this about the nation of Israel. He says that all Israel will be saved. Verse 27, verse 28, at some future date, Jesus Christ, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem, and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. This is my covenant with them, that I will take away their sins. Do you hear that? Doesn't that fit with the heart of God? I mean, doesn't that look and smell and feel like the cross of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. But still, we hear this, and then we have responses to it. You know, like, like what? Does that mean there's going to be a massive Jewish revival right at the very end of time? My response to you, I don't know, maybe. You know, okay, or will there be like this gradual saving of Israel one by one, two by two, until some maximum number is reached? I don't know, maybe. What does it mean every Israelite will be saved or just a predetermined number connected to predestination in the remnant? I don't know. But I'll tell you what I do know. I know, and this is the way Paul ends it, I know verse 28, they are still the people that God loves and that God chose. Oh, I know verse 29, God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. They're without repentance. We love to apply that to spiritual gifts and feel free to do that. But in context, this is talking about the nation of Israel and their call to be the people of God. That calls without repentance. It won't be withdrawn. Verse 30, they too will share in God's mercy with us. Oh. Verse 32, God always intended to have mercy on everyone through Christ. And then you know what Paul does? Because you, you feel me getting worked up. Can y'all feel it? Can, can you guys, can y'all? Okay, I'm getting worked up as I talk about this. Well, Paul obviously is getting very worked up as he writes this because if you look in your Bibles, okay, he gets right here to verse 32, and then you know what the rest of the chapter is? It's a praise song. You know, Paul writes this far and he gets all worked up. And he's just like, oh, I just got to sing in praise. And, and so what he does for the rest of the chapter is Paul worships God for his wisdom, his generosity, his power, and his love for all of mankind. Paul is overcome by the grace of God at the end of Romans chapter 11. I read a commentary this week. 
<laughs> I can't believe it. I can't believe I'm going to tell you this. The commentary said Romans 11 is the most difficult chapter in the New Testament to, to read. We, uh, you know, we, many, many pastors have been advised not to preach it. Are you kidding me? This is amazing. Look at the goodness and the richness and the depth. Now, let me just say one more thing. I've got to pull myself back here because we, we've got to take communion, Neil, right? We're, we're gonna, we are going to take communion. Here is one word of caution about salvation with the Jews. There are some theologies out there, just as there are some that say, you know what, that God's done with the Jews, baloney. Okay, here's the other side of the baloney. From the other far end of, of, of uh, salvation, there's a whole other camp that says, you know, for the Jews, they kind of get a free pass on Jesus because they're the people of God. Absolutely not true. Salvation for every Jew, as with every other human being, it is through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, the life, and the only way to God. So listen, don't, if someone comes selling you that soap, just go ahead and keep washing with what you got, all right? Well, all roads lead to, no, they don't. Jesus Christ is salvation. He will be salvation for Jew and Gentile, okay? So that is them. So now I'm gonna come back to you. If you have ever wondered if God has given up on you, if you felt that way, you know, the, the, the empty heart, um, you feel like, like you're just empty and flat, um, your prayers are coming back to you like undelivered text. Um, you think you've blown it. You're too big a sinner. I'm gonna say what I said at the very beginning of this message. That is not how the kingdom of God works. That, that is not what salvation in Christianity is all about. You are dead wrong. God is not done with you. The cross of Jesus Christ the empty tomb of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is bigger than your sins. They're bigger than your sins. But, 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 but you're not, the, you, the story doesn't revolve around you. It revolves around him. They are bigger. And I know what we say. We say, yeah, but you know what, Steve? You know what? I just can't get over my sin. Here's my response to that, because I've said it before. If that is your statement back, I can't get over my sin. That's actually with that one, you're dead right. You can't get over your sin. That's the point of the cross. You don't have to get over your sin. Jesus has gotten over your sin. He has. When he died on the cross, he died for everything you would ever do, everything you did against him, everything you've ever done against anybody else, including yourself. Jesus Christ died for it. And listen, when he was resurrected, he rose up over all of it. He rose up over all of it. And so listen, today, this eternal life that we're talking about, it's on the walls, it's demonstrated on the cross. You guys are going to sing about it. We just got all wrapped up in it in worship. This eternal life that begins today, it is yours if you do not harden your heart like Pharaoh did, like the Jews did, like Steve Keller did for about five years of his miserable life. But listen, it is yours if you don't go the other way. And so, so what I'm telling you is, listen, if you don't harden your heart, and today you realize Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was raised from the dead. If you believe that and you confess it, this life is yours. And if you go the other way, this life is not yours. But see, here's, here's the other thing. We're in a room full of people who have already done this before, right? I mean, most people in this room have done this and there are times in our lives when spiritually, 
we still feel, we still feel knee-high to a grasshopper. Um, I, when I was in fourth grade, I had a substitute teacher named Miss Salter. And I was behaving very badly in class. And she goes, boy, you ain't nothing but knee-high to a grasshopper. Well, if you have felt, I know, that was a woo right there. If, if you have ever felt that way spiritually, then, then what do you do about it? Here's what you do. Go to Luke 15, read the story again, the story of the prodigal son. Just come on home. You might think, well, you know, but that, that's not how this works. Yes, it is how this works. Repentance is not a one-time act that we do when we get saved. Repentance is a gift to the church so that we can turn to Jesus and keep on turning to Jesus and keep turning back to the family of God and turning back to life. Listen, I, I'm your pastor. I've been in ministry for 30 years. I, I, I have discovered, okay, this genius of me again, this is better than the wristbands. I have discovered that this is meant to be a life of repentance. You know, all the time God is going, Steve, you know what? You're angry. Steve, you're offended. Steve, you're afraid. The Lord is always bringing stuff up in my life, not because he's like, see how you failed. But he's he brings it up and say, just come on back. Just turn a little bit more, a little bit more. Our whole life is meant to be a turning to the cross. It, it, every communion is meant to be a deeper and deeper celebration with the one who set us free. So listen, there is no better time and there is no better place than right here at the communion table to just say, Lord, I turn a little bit more. Isn't Romans 11 beautiful? Paul, Jesus, you're awesome. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.